so we've been doing this as a church. Can you pull the gain down a little bit on my microphone? That would be amazing. Thanks. Um, and so every Saturday we look at a different psalm in, in our community Bible reading groups. Um, I'll mention this a, a few times during this, this morning. If you would like to know more about community Bible reading and getting into a community Bible reading group, then come and chat to me or put it uh, down a connect card or look, talk to someone who looks vaguely knowledgeable um, and then we can make sure you're linked up with that. Um, so this morning we are looking at Psalm 119, it's page 617 in the church Bibles and this is a little bit of a, a strange experience for me because when I was younger and growing up in church I used to live in fear of the preacher saying we're going to be preaching on Psalm 119 <laughs> because when, you, when you're flicking through the Bible, so if you, if you get to page 617 and particularly put yourself into the mindset of a, a younger boy who's just idly flicking through the Bible and you get to Psalm 119 and it, and it goes on forever. It goes on for page after page after page and think, will this psalm never end? Um, and so that, that was my, my experience and my thought of, of psalms and Psalm 119 uh, growing up. It's similar, I don't know if anyone else had this experience, of when we had the overhead projector. Anyone remember the overhead projector? Um, and the person with the neatest handwriting in the church would write out the, the hymns um, on the OHP sheet and they'd be there. Actually, was, there anyone in, was anyone actually in charge of the overhead projector? Look at that, <clears throat> a real joy and uh, responsibility, and it filled you with terror as well, didn't it? Having the responsibility of, um, of putting it on and putting the, the right slide, the right way up, um, and not back to front, all those kind of things. But similar to my experience of Psalm 119 was these hymns that seem to go on forever, and you think this, this page screen filled with words, and you think, yes, we've got to the end. And then the overhead projectionist, who would be one of you guys, would whip off that slide and they'll put on another one. And I think, oh no, I've got to sit through another whole slide and then we'll get to the end of that and there'll be another one. I don't know if anyone else can relate to, to that at all. So, what I want to, to show is our view of Psalm 100, my view of Psalm 119, and even um, the view of the hymns, was, was a reflection of my heart. It wasn't that I was devoted to God's word and I really enjoyed it. It was, a, it was a, a, an expression of my heart, an indication of where my heart was. Was God's word my delight at that stage? No, it wasn't. Now this may be true of you. Would you say that God's word is my delight? Or would you more say that God's word is, is my duty? Something that I feel I should do. Or is God's word my source of guilt because I don't read it? I know that I should. Or you might say that God's word, the Bible, is a source of confusion. How do I know if it's really true? How do I fully understand what it is saying? Well, when you delight in something, your attitude completely changes. And so does your measurement of time. So my attitude to the Bible and to hymns is now completely different to, to what it was, um, flicking through these, these pages in terror um, <clears throat> of what might happen. It's completely different, but to be honest, I'm still nervous if a preacher stands up and says we're going to read Psalm 119. <clears throat> Just to put you at rest, we're going to be looking at the first 24 verses. We're not going to cover 
the whole of um, Psalm 119. We're going to be reading a section of, of a time in a moment. And this is actually one of the things I love about community Bible reading, CBR, is because in community Bible reading, it, it's not saying that you have to get through the whole Psalm. Often when you've been reading through um, the Bible in one year, say, you have an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and a Psalm. And if you get to the day when the Psalm is, 107, uh, is Psalm 117, you think, yes. It's only two verses, I can do that. But you might get to the day when it's Psalm 119, and you think, oh no, I've got all this to get through. And that really misses the point. It really misses the point of why God's word is written. It misses the point of why we study the Bible and look at it together. Because through reading the Bible, we're to encounter the living God. And that's why in community Bible reading, it's broken into sections, so we can take time. And it's not just a, an a task, uh, an, an activity in, in ticking a task off a list. So just uh, to say a, a few more things before we actually get into to read this text. <clears throat> Central to what we're looking at today is, is verse 11, which I, I mentioned earlier. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, we can actually say this another way. If sin is about pleasing ourselves rather than God, if we take that as the definition of sin, pleasing ourselves, looking to ourselves rather than God, then not sinning is about glorifying God and enjoying life in him. John Piper rephrases this verse, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I may glorify you and enjoy you forever. We delight in God's word so that we can do what we're created for. We delight in God's word because through it, we can know and enjoy the living God, our maker and savior. So how can we know this God? How can we know this God who is powerful, who is mighty, who is supreme, who is completely perfect? How can we know him? Well, as we've already been looking at this morning, it's only through his revelation. It's through only what he chooses to reveal to us. We can never Find him out. He is beyond our reach. He is the creator and we are the created. We have sinned and this separates us from God. But God reveals through creation in both its its vastness and its intricacies. God reveals through his son who walked on this earth 2,000 years ago. And God reveals himself through scripture, his words to his people. He has chosen to reveal himself to us. I'd like to read a quote from J.R. Packer, which should come up on the screen behind me. It says, Revelation is a divine activity, not therefore a human achievement. Revelation is not the same thing as discovery or the dawning of insight or the emerging of a bright idea. Revelation does not mean man finding God, but God finding man. God sharing his secrets with us. God showing us himself. God has shown himself to us in many ways, but vitally through his word. And this is why it should become our delight. A few more um, words of of introduction before we we jump in. Um, The writer of this psalm obviously delights in God's word. We can tell that by the sheer volume of verses that there are, 176. But notice that this isn't a product of of sudden outpouring of devotion, which is a bit different to the other Psalms, many of the other Psalms. So this is probably written by someone with a very different character to David. 
This psalm is different in terms of its length, but also in the way it's written and structured. And getting to grips with this psalm will help us to get to grips with the whole of the Bible. It's a, a psalm with a, a, tight a tight structure, but in, in it the psalmist praises the Lord. He makes petitions. He describes trouble. He confesses need. He makes vows. He tells of salvation. He asserts trust. He describes the wicked and so on. And in so doing, illustrates for us how we are to use scripture. So first of all, we need to try and unlock the way in which Psalm 119 is structured. It's a long psalm, and if you were similar to me, you'd look through it and think, is it worth the effort? How am I ever going to get through all of this? Well, if we understand a bit of how it's um, made up, we, we understand a bit more of its poetic nature. The psalm is made up of 22 stanzas. If you uh, flick through, all of them have got uh, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet um, at, at, the, at the start of it. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so there are 22 stanzas. And um, there's a stanza for each letter. If you notice, um, also looking closer, each stanza has eight verses. So the psalm is made up of 176 verses altogether. What we can't see by English translation is um, each of the verses begin with the letter that is in the heading. So all of the uh, verses um, of one to eight begin with the letter Aleph. We can't read that unless we have anyone who reads fluent Hebrew here. We wouldn't get that benefit here. We don't see that poetic form. One other thing, uh, just before we, we dive in, in all but five of these 176 verses, the psalmist uses one of nine related Hebrew words that mean instruction or teaching, and that are translated throughout the psalm as commands, as precepts, as statutes, as ordinances, as word, promise, decrees, law, laws, and ways. You see, throughout, there's hardly any verses that, that don't have one of these terms in them. So what the psalmist is doing this morning and what our encouragement for us today is saying, teach me, Lord, instruct me. I love your teaching. I will not turn from it. It's to saying God's word is to be our delight. Let's read. First of all, we're going to read, from ver uh, read verses one to eight. It says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I will not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I'll praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your son. Father God, we thank you for creation. We thank you for these different ways in which you reveal yourself to us. I pray that as we look to your word that you'll be cultivating a real delight, desire, passion for you and for your truth. Lord, I pray that you would you'd do that this morning and that we'll be open to all that you want to say and do in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is that God's word shapes our walk. God's word shapes our walk. Those first two verses, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, whose walk according to the law of the Lord. 
and blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? Often we can say that word but don't fully think about what it means. Well, one definition is the happy condition of those who revere the Lord and do his will. In short, it means that life goes well. Psalm 1 verse 1 to 3 gives a brilliant picture of this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and his leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This is a picture of fruitfulness, of of being blessed. A picture of of provision, of life in balance. When we walk according to God's word, then things go well. Because the simple truth is, when we're better at walking, we, we bump into things less. You see this with a, with a toddler as they're learning to walk. To begin with, um, they kind of they've got the kind of the physical motion there, um, but they can't really control it. So their, their legs will go, and they kind of be looking somewhere completely different. But their legs will be just going off in, in that direction, or they'll wander around bumping into things. The better we are at walking, the less we'll bump into things. That is true for life, and it's true in living according to God's word. So I'm, um, in verse 105, later on, it says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light, a light on my path. God uses his word to guide us into good places. And how much we know and obey the word will determine how much we experience God's blessing in our lives. This is the promise in his word. So why, why is this so? Why does this book have so much power? Why should we devote ourselves to to reading and applying it? Well, in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this is not just a book like you find in any other bookshop. It's God's words breathed out, and it's through this, this book that we know who God is. Earlier this year, we had a series called None Like Him. We're exploring the truth that God is eternal, that he's immeasurable, that he's unchanging, that he's sufficient. How do we know this? Well, primarily, it's through God's word. It tells us what he is like. God's eternal purposes are revealed in here <clears throat> from beginning of time to the end. It's also important that as we're reading it, that we remember that the Bible is written in the context of real life. The historical accounts were written so that the people of God could remember their story. Historical books like the book of Acts, we're going to be looking at starting next week. The story of of God and his people. There's um, books of, of prophecy such as Isaiah and Jeremiah, which is originally spoken out to God's people. We have letters written to real churches facing real situations. So this book is not kind of God's guide to the galaxy with different chapters on on work and relationship and forgiveness. It's written to real people in real places. And it's written so that you may believe. It's written so that you may believe. John 20 verse 31, um, the gospel writer John says this, 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written so that by believing you may have life in his name, in the name of Jesus. Is this, is this how you see the Bible? Do you see it as, as something that should be done day by day, week by week, or, or whenever we get round to it? Or do you see the Bible in a way that we can encounter Jesus daily? Because at the heart of God's word is the gospel message. Um, Andrew Wilson's written a, a short book. Um, we've looked at it uh, as a church before called Unbreakable. If you want to get a bit more out of God's word, I'd recommend this. We should have some on the, uh, the bookstall. Um, and in his book, he says this. Um, after the resurrection, Jesus is on the Emmaus Road. And I don't know about you, if, if you'd risen from the dead, you'd probably want to do a, something dramatic in front of thousands of people. But Andrew Wilson points out he, he doesn't do this. He does a Bible study and then he breaks bread. That's what Jesus decides to do after he's been raised from the dead. He does a Bible study and then he breaks, breaks bread. And that's exactly what we do week by week. And in that Bible study, as he turned the pages of scripture, it points, he showed that it points to him, to the suffering and the glory of the Messiah. And the result was the disciples' hearts were on fire because they saw Jesus was right at the very center of scripture. <clears throat> We'd see that the center of scripture is, is not mainly Israel. It's not mainly about you. The center of scripture is mainly about Jesus and God's purposes for the nations through him. And when you see this, your heart catches fire and your eyes are opened. Jesus is the center of scripture. Andrew also <clears throat> makes the, uh, the illustration of, often he'll go to people's houses and he'll see pictures of himself on their wall. And you think, oh, that's nice, there's pictures of me all over different people's houses. Um, also for me, I um, will see pictures um, on people's Facebook. They have their pictures up and there's pictures of me. I think, oh, that's nice. Now, they haven't actually put pictures of, of Andrew on their wall or pictures of me on, on their Facebook. What they've actually done is they put their wedding photos uh, online. Um, and what the picture is is of the, the bride and groom um, making their marriage vows. But Andrew is, is there and <coughs> he's, uh, he's there doing the, the vows and he happens to be in the picture. Similarly for me, I happen to be in people's pictures when they're, when they're getting married because I'll often do a wedding service. Now, it would be very arrogant for, for me or for Andrew to say that picture is, is all about me because it's not. Yes, you're, you're there, but that's not what it's about. And so we can say for, for us, yes, we are part of the story. But God's word, it's about Jesus. He is the centerpiece and not us or anything else. So as we look to the word, it brings us closer to God. We walk with him. The Bible is seen as, as precious because it's God's word. We don't revere this book for itself. <clears throat> we look to this book because it helps us to know the living God. It, this isn't an end in itself. We do it so we can know and meet and enjoy God day by day and, and walk with him. And as we walk close by him, we're immersed in his word. We are able to navigate life's challenges. Like on Tuesday, as we'll be celebrating the life, life of, of Matthew, a life that was cut short, we can look to the truth, the hope that we have in Jesus for all eternity, knowing that God is in full control and nothing happens without his uh, letting it 
So we, we hold on to truth even in difficult times and in times of celebration. We proclaim the truth and the hope that we have in Jesus. <clears throat> in each situation, we are to look to what God says. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil, and his response each time was, it is written, it is written, it is written. He comes back to, his, to the word of God time and time again. We'll pick up this later on. But for now, I wanted to say that we need to know this word. We need to know the truth of, of God. A recent, recent study found that 82% of Americans believe that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible. Many would believe God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. And actually, a good number of those count it as their favorite verse of scripture. God helps those who help themselves. This isn't even the gospel. This is moralism. The gospel is that God rescued us when we are dead in our sins. We can't help ourselves when you're dead. We are brought alive in him. And all that we do is our response to what God has done. We need to know what God's word says so that we can live, so that we can walk in the right ways. And today you may have more questions about the Bible. You may have questions about God and, and whether you can believe. On Tuesday, we have uh, six weeks entitled, if, if God, Then What? It's a great opportunity for you to come along, ask some questions, and explore, what is this all about? Can I trust the Bible? What even is the Bible? Who is God? We'd love to be able to, to talk about that with you. 7.30 at the Little Red Roaster in Ashy Cross. I encourage you to come along. This first section, we see God's word shapes our walk. Next section, we're going to look at reading from verse 9, shows that God's word is to be our treasure. Let's read verse 9. It says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So we've seen that God's word is, is life-giving. But how do we live in the good of it? How do we walk daily in this truth? Well, it's to be our desire and our delight. I've hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word is to be our treasure and our delight. Well, what do we do when we, we find treasure? Um, I, I don't know if you've actually found treasure in your life. I've never had that experience. But Jesus says this in, in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. In his joy, he sold all he had and bought that field. We think, isn't that a bit rash and reckless, selling everything you had? But no, this is normal behavior. When you've discovered great riches, then you think, I have small riches. One, I sell them so I can buy a field, and then I can gain great riches. That is normal behavior. There's nothing strange about that because of the treasure. When we find treasure, then our priorities change. <clears throat> Life has a new purpose, and this, this focus is a joy, not a duty. 
When the person in that um, parable, when they found the treasure, they think, oh no, I'm gonna have to sell all that I have so that I can buy this field and get the treasure. They weren't, they weren't despondent and downcast. It was a joy that they could sell it so they could gain this treasure. Let me ask you, does God's word feel like treasure to you today? Is that what it feels like? Or let me put it uh, another way. If I were to give you, if I had the resources and I were to give you a thousand pounds for every verse of scripture that you can memorize in the next week, I wonder what this week would look like. (laughs) If you have a thousand pounds for every verse, you're kind of calculating how many verses do I know already? How many can I learn? Well, to be honest, it probably, this week would probably involve a bit less Netflix um, and a bit more Bible because you want to, to get as many scripture verses into your head so you can gain thousands of pounds because that, that sounds good. Why, why do we do that? When we have the motivation, then what we do changes. If we're generally not much of a reader in life, you think, Actually, for the sake of a few thousand pounds, I'm going to overcome that. Or I'm going to find another way. I'm going to get someone else to read it to me so that I can learn a few verses and get a few thousand pounds. Well, we know that God's word is much more valuable than this. Verse 72 of this psalm says it's better than silver and gold. God's word brings life and impact for eternity. And even if we have thousands or hundreds of thousands of pounds, I can go relatively quickly, but God's words and truth stands firm forever, and it will never let us down. The truth is we can get put off, but as with most treasure, it requires some digging. We need some digging to get the full benefit. Some we can immediately understand and benefit from. John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son." that whoever believes in him shall perish and not have eternal, and have eternal life. That probably would have been one of your verses, wouldn't it? For, to memorize for a thousand pounds. But we can know, we can read that, we can understand the truth in that. But others, passages of scripture does take more work and we can get discouraged. But it's okay to be confused. It's okay to ask questions. And this is why we do it in community. Well, the important thing is not just to focus on the bits that we don't understand or the things that we're confused by, but to live and apply the bits that we do understand. We've seen that scripture is written into real life situations and these are of a, a different time and culture that, from that we are living in. So we do need to do some work to get the full benefit. We also need to take time to read or, or listen to it and apply it. Storing up God's word in our heart is the key for growing in maturity. It's important to see this is not just a a set of rules, but a way of experiencing God's life-giving presence. Not a duty, but a delight. Not just words on a page, but life in our hearts. So how how do we not sin? How do we please God? Verse 16 says, I will delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. We say no to sin because we're saying yes to something better. We're saying yes to life in God. C.S. Lewis says that we're too easily pleased, that we settle for sin rather than enjoying the goodness of God. It's like settling for the scraps of food outside a restaurant rather than going inside where amazing food is available. 
is not to be a burden, but uh, a way of joyous existence in him. But we need to keep fueling the fire. We were away a week or so ago with, with friends, and we were building a campfire. And one of our group was very particular about the kind of fuel that we needed. He said we needed dry leaves, dry twigs. It couldn't have been touching the ground. It needs to be up high. And we were kind of like, okay, we'll go around and we'll bring these things to him and say, no, that's not okay. A number of people trying to bring these big things of, of leaves, of, of, um, of damp leaves, and say, no, we'll not do that. He even got us lining things up in kind of order of size. The small ones down this end and the large ones, I think, why on earth are we doing all this? Um, but even so, it was still quite difficult to get, to get the, the fire going because we need the right fuel. You need the right fuel to get it going and you need the right fuel to keep feeding on. If we had put a whole load of, of damp leaves on top, the fire would have gone out, there would have been a whole load of smoke and um, it wouldn't have been pleasant for anyone. Similarly for us, we need to be putting the fuel of God's word into our lives to keep our hearts ablaze with passion for him. We see this, this psalm is, is made up of 176 verses of, of devotion. It's taken time and craft. Similarly, we to, are to invest time in studying the word of God. It's to be our treasure. We're to delight in it, to take time. The way not to sin and enjoy life glorifying God is to treasure God's word in our hearts. Let's look to the, the final section that we are gonna be looking at this morning. I'm gonna to keep to my word and do 24 verses rather than 176. Verse 17, be good to your servants while I live, that I may obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I'm a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke, rebuke the arrogant who are accursed, those who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counsellors. So finally, I want us to see that the God's word is to be what we love to look to. God's word is to be what we behold. We need to choose to look, to know that God's word is powerful. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is powerful. God's word brings life, hope, and truth. But we need to look, we need to behold. This is more than just a quick glance. Now, amongst us in the room, when you go to a museum, there'll be a spectrum of uh, behaviors. Over here, you might be the one who would re read every single thing written down in the museum. And who, who's at this end? Who loves to read most things? Okay, and then up, up here, <coughs> you have those who kind of prefer just to skim, to glance and say, yep, I've, I've done that and now move on. How many of those at this end? Okay, how many of those at this end are married to someone else at the, at the other end? <laughs> I'm afraid for those who, who love to skim, when we are looking to God's word, we need to behold. We need, do need to spend time and invest and enjoy. Because um, you can't just have a quick glance. A quick glance at this psalm 
will think, wow, this is really long. There's no point of me spending any time in it. To fully delight, to encounter God, we need to behold, to give time to look in an unrushed way. And so that we can stay on course. When we delight, we behold, and we're not knocked off course when trials come, when temptations come. I mentioned earlier, Jesus in the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. He was, he was hungry, he'd been fasting. The devil tempted him with food. He tempted him with, with power and authority. But each time Jesus responded with the word. It is written, it is written. He'd hidden the word of God in his heart. He disciplined himself and learned scripture. And we can think that the discipline is, is opposed to life with God. Life with God is about freedom and joy and naturally doing whatever we feel in the moment because we're enjoying God. But life with God is about discipline. Doing things that are good for us can be about discipline. Tuesday morning, everything in me didn't want to go for a run. I was lying in bed and thinking, I do not want to do this. Even getting ready, putting my shoes on, I, was, I do not want to do this. But I knew that it was good for me. And uh, yesterday I went for, I almost looked forward, I, I say almost, almost looked forward to going for a run and almost enjoy it. But I know that it's good for me. If we discipline ourselves about running and exercise, know that it's good for us. If we discipline our, ourselves about food, normally we eat three meals a day and then three meals the next day. We don't eat six meals one day and then no meals the next day. Normally we discipline ourselves. There is choice about things that will give us life and benefit. Are we going to invest our time in God's word and choosing to behold, fixing our eyes on what is true, unchanging, profitable, and enriching? Um, just as I close, I want to have some examples of, of how this has worked out in my life in practice, of how I've gone about choosing to behold in, in my life. So um, one of the areas where I had to choose to behold, to look to God's word, was it in leadership. Um, and being young in leadership, I started leading worship when I was age 17 in church. I started pastoring a church when I was age 24. And so there are many questions like, can I do this? How can I lead people significantly older than myself? Can I bring anything? What have I got inside me? Well, 1 Timothy 4 verse 12 was helpful. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. There was much opportunity for doubt and thinking, I can't do this. But looking to God's words, to his truth, knowing that where God calls, he equips. Don't let anyone look down on you, but set your eyes on the things that you can do. Set an example. Live in the way that I have called you. That was so helpful to me so that I could live out and live in the way that God was calling. Praying for a wife. I got to the stage at university, I think, God, I really like a wife. And ideally, sooner rather than later. And um, God highlighted the verses in, in Matthew 6, verse 33. Let's seek first his kingdom of God, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God was affirming to me that I need to get my priorities straight. I need to make sure it's about him first and foremost, and then other things in life will be added in. Fortunately for me, um, this prayer was answered relatively quickly, and it's going well so far. <laughs> but there's that encouragement to continue to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, have those priorities set right. But it doesn't always mean that you get the answers that you expect so quickly. 
Um, for me, this was um, particularly born out in the area of, of praying for healing. A number of years ago, we had a number of prophetic words about being healed, and we had a season of intense prayer, fasting, and memori- memorizing of scripture. We had a couple of pages of A4 full of scripture that we go over day by day about healing. And in fact, um, it reminded me last week, we were looking at Psalm 118, and in there was one of the verses. It said, Psalm 118, verse 17, I will not die but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. That was one of the verses that we were holding on to and still hold on to. I will not die but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. Now through that, that period of, of time of, of prayer and trusting um, God in scripture, knowing God's grace in terms of, of good health, but if I'm honest, there hasn't been the complete healing that we were hoping and praying for. And these are important times where we lean into God's word again. Okay, God, what can I hold on to? It's very easy to, to be disheartened. It's very easy to go and think, okay, God only helps those who, who help themselves. So I'm, I'm going to have to choose. Am I going to help myself? Am I going to dig into my own, my own self? I think, no, I'm going to look to the truth of, of who God is. And for me, it was the encouragement of, of Daniel's friends when they're about to be thrown into the fire. Daniel 6, <clears throat> verse 17 says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This was so helpful to me because there we have uh, a declaration of faith that God can do all things, that God is able to deliver us from it. And so there's the confidence of faith that God is able to heal, God is able to provide but they said, but even if he does not, we're not going to turn away. We're going to trust God. We're going to trust God that he has the right purposes and plans, that he is good, not just in this life, but for eternity. We're to know that he has the right perspective. And digging into God's word helps in these very real situations. <clears throat> just one more um, was around the time we were praying about whether we should um, adopt again, whether we should adopt um, uh, another child into our family, and it was a few years ago, it was a, a significant time for us as a church. Uh, we were just considering whether we should launch um, another site before we launched down at, at Paul Key. And um, Matthew was speaking on the spies being sent out, and that really, really spoke. It was, it was in that week, said, God, I think this may be where you, you're leading, but I need you to speak. I need you to have that, that, that confidence so that we are going to make a, a big step of, of having another child in our family. So Matt spoke on, on the spies being sent out, and when they came back, the encouragement that came through Matt's preach was, was not to fear. God will give the land. We are to, to look to him and, and, and not give in to, to rational caution, but go. Go with faith. Go with boldness. God is with us. And we've, we've held on to that. And in that moment, we think, okay, we can hold on to God's truth. We can go, we know that he'll provide. Look to him, not looking to the giants, to the obstacles, to the challenges that there may be, but look to the God who will provide. <clears throat> in each situation that I walk through, in each situation that you walk through, there are truths that we can hold on to. You may be thinking this morning, does God know and love me? You can hold on to the truth in, in Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord your God is with you the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he'll no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. 
you can know the God of the universe knows you and rejoices over you if you think you're insignificant and unloved. You can hold on to this truth today. If you're sitting here this morning and thinking, am I really good enough? We can hold on to the truth of Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you put your trust in Jesus, if you say, Jesus is my Lord, I'm sorry for my sin, then we don't need to worry about whether we're good enough or not. Because, let me tell you, we're not. We're not good enough. But Jesus is. Jesus is good enough. And when we're in him, there's no condemnation. So this morning we have a choice. Will we walk in this truth? Will we treasure it? Will we behold it? Because God's word brings life. This Psalm, Psalm 119 doesn't just change its readers. It enables them to influence the world through God's word. Verse 19 says, I'm a stranger on this earth. Because devotion to the Lord marks out God's servants, but it alienates them from the word because we're living in, with very different values and principles. When we have God's word in us, we are different, but we're not meant to keep this truth to ourselves. The best way we can demonstrate gospel truth, the best way we can dem- demonstrate God's word is to walk in God's goodness and enjoy it. Because we can be in the presence of the Father, we can be in the presence of the truth of God's word, but not enjoy it. Think of the oldest son in the, uh, uh, the parable of the, the prodigal son or the lost son. There was the, the, old, the oldest son was there, he was in the presence of the Father, but he was not enjoying it. We are to be delighting in God's word, it's to be the delight of our heart. And God's word points us to him. As we delight in God's word, we delight more and more in the living God. In the book, Harps Unsung, Unhung, which rephrases the Psalms, it summarizes verses 124 like this. The Lord established precepts to obey. Blessed are the righteous who walk in his way. How can a person walk in purity? living in the light of his decree. Reveal to me the truths hid in your law and open my eyes, fill them with awe. So what now? We, we read it, we live it. Let our delight and devotion grow. There are many resources that we could recommend. I've, I mentioned this one, but actually the very best thing that we can do is to read it, is to pray it. It's to be challenged in community. Just in closing, I'd like to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe at all. But believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There's no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is a poor faith at best. It's a little better than dry land faith and is not good for much. The encouragement from Spurgeon is that we are to be those who uh, swim in the deepness of divine revelation. Let's be a people that do that and respond to the goodness of his word. Let's stand together, we'll pray, and then we'll respond in worship. Lord, we do thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you choose to reveal yourself to us and we thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I pray that we will be those 
who are choosing to behold you, behold your words, behold your greatness and your glory, and that will respond now with our lives of trusting you, of looking to you, of saying, God, you are God eternal. Your word stands forever. I choose to put my feet on this rock and let my lips praise your name. So Lord, we glorify you. We thank you that we can know you. And we thank you that you are good and that your love endures. Amen. Amen. Amen.